Welcome to Scavenger's Horde. We're a Stars podcast offering thoughts on whatever takes our fancy, be it the latest show on Disney Plus or a weird Legends novelization you may have forgotten existed. If you're new here, let me introduce myself. I'm Rachel, and I'm Kirsty. This is episode 182, and it's 18th of June, 2022. Yep. So we unfortunately had to skip an episode last week for reasons you might want to <laughs> go into a little bit, Kirsty. Uh, I have COVID. Oh, I'm sorry. I, di- I didn't have it last week. My husband had it. Right. But because he had it, I, I couldn't take time away to record, obviously, because I had to look after my kid by myself. Sure. Now, he's he's still testing positive, but he feels better, and I'm starting to feel like crap. So, mm. uh, not great, obviously. I've been very lucky to avoid it thus far. Yeah. But uh, I guess on the bright side, it means that I can talk about Star Wars. <laughs> It's a really weird irony, isn't it? That it's when you have COVID that you're suddenly freed up to talk yeah. on the podcast. I'm not feeling great, so I just want to apologise in advance if this isn't the most interesting episode to listen oh. to, but I'm going to do my best. You have nothing to apologise for. I personally think it's very heroic to podcast at all when you have COVID. And I feel bad that we like said we were going to do the weekly recaps, and then as soon as we said that, we couldn't. Oh. Yeah, um, but that's no one's fault. You know, you weren't to know that COVID was going to hit your household, right? So, yeah, yeah, there's nothing to feel sorry for. Um, but yeah, on that note, we do actually have quite a bit to catch up with on the Kenobi front. So we're going to forego talking about any news. And to be honest, there hasn't been a great deal. There have been some like interviews with Joby Harold, who's one of the writers. Um, but And he does say interesting things. But, you know, we could talk about that sort of stuff for a while and it might be better left until the whole show's wrapped up and we can reflect on it you know and talk about the comments in context so yeah this time we're just going to talk about parts four and five of Kenobi Um, probably even more of an emphasis on part five because that's the one that's fresh in our minds as we're recording Um, but yep we will cover both part four just to bring people up to speed is the one where Obi-Wan and Tala infiltrate the Inquisitor's Fortress to rescue Leia who was kidnapped again by Reva at the end of part three. So yeah, what are your overall thoughts on this episode Kirsty? I had fun with it it mm-hmm. was probably overall my least favorite episode but that's just because I've been enjoying the show so far and we've seen a lot of this type of episode in Star Wars before, right? right? And I know a lot of fans will love it for that reason, and that's that's totally cool for me. It didn't add an awful lot to that kind of trope. Yeah. Um, but I, I still had fun with it. I still thought performances were strong. Um, and I think, you know, just like reading what other people have said about it, I think it probably is a lot more enjoyable or meaningful to you if you're a big Jedi Fallen Order fan. <laughs> yes, that's true. Because <laughs> um, obviously there are a lot of references there, which, you know, I've, I've watched the cutscenes, but it's been a while and yeah. I'm not super attached to those characters and their stories. So, um, but it's it's nice that they've had like something for everyone throughout the series. Um, yeah. And I definitely enjoyed the elements of things that I did recognise. Like I appreciated seeing Obi-Wan swimming underwater again, a la Phantom Menace. <laughs> You're like, I recognise that. It just like, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm expecting Jar Jar to crop up there in a second. <laughs> Can you imagine if Jar Jar had been floating in one of those tubes? Oh, oh no, that would have actually been quite upsetting. <laughs> that would have been horrible. 
Have and it would out. also felt kind of malicious. So yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah I, yeah, I feel, and I'm sure a lot of fans feel quite defensive and protective of that character. And I'm at best at this point. So. Yeah. No, exactly. That would have been a horrible move, and I probably shouldn't have even mentioned that, and I might cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I feel similarly about this episode. I did enjoy it. I thought it was a fun adventure, but yeah, it felt like it was offering absolutely nothing that we haven't seen before in Star Wars, and we've usually seen it done better than this as well. I know that sounds really mean, but it just felt a bit humdrum and by the numbers. And I think it was also just a little bit frustrating for me because obviously we only have six episodes of the show, right? And I was kind of like, why is a whole episode being wasted on this? You know, when there's lots of interesting like character dynamics and character histories bubbling underneath the surface that, mm. yeah, I would have preferred to have seen more time spent on that stuff. But that's me. Yeah, I really think this one is a big matter of perspective because I know a lot of fans feel very differently and I I do think that there, it was worth it in terms of like seeing Obi-Wan come back into like using his powers more confidently yeah no, like, that's that was a good definitely point. like a central theme and focus right with him like using the force just to stop and control that water coming in and then like letting it go when they needed to escape and that sort of thing and using his lightsaber more and kind of running circles around the stormtroopers and all that or, or it was very fun to watch in terms of like what I'd hoped for going in, and part of this might be my fault for having certain expectations. Last time we recorded, I was like, oh, I'm really excited to see Reva and Leia's interactions because yeah. we've seen from how Leia communicates with Obi-Wan that she obviously, we know she has the force. So there is this like extra layer of intuition. Maybe she'll be the one to kind of uh, draw out those traumatic experiences from Reva's past, what's motivating her in her life now. And that didn't really happen. Yeah. And um, obviously going into episode five, we see that it's happened in a different way now. But I think I was hoping for that with Leia for certain reasons, just because I've really loved that little girl's performance of Leia. And yes. I, I think she could hold her own in that kind of emotional confrontation. Um, but another reason I just kind of expected that sort of thing going in, as she was interrogating her, I was like, wait a minute. She is the one who orchestrated Leia's kidnapping a couple of days ago, and yet now she's treating Leia as if she should be an expert on this Jedi path. I was like, am I missing something? Is this something that I should be confused by? I thought maybe she would like have that as like, you know, that would be like her um, facade going into the interrogation like oh yeah I'm going to draw this information about out of this little girl but then really it would turn into more of an emotional encounter but yeah. that's not really what happened and those scenes felt a little repetitive and like they weren't going anywhere in a way yeah um so it just kind of felt like Leia was there for Obi-Wan to rescue as opposed to like doing anything interesting on her own which yeah. is a shame no for sure like and I understand why they haven't gone in this direction and I know it's bad you know it's kind of like the backseat driver version of talking about a story but as I was watching it I was thinking about the number of different interesting things they could have done with that scenario right it's like obviously we know that Leia has force powers you know and they really expand on that in the sequel trilogy I would have loved to have seen more of like that angle you know there like in potentially seeing Leia doing a bit of what 
Kylo does, you know, in terms of like reading minds and stuff, even though she's not consciously aware of what she's doing. So I think there's some subtle signs of her doing that earlier on in the show, you know. And yeah, I, I would just love to see that idea. And then you could have Reva sort of like realise that there's something extraordinary about this child beyond the fact that she's the child of Belle Organa, you know, and start to twig along those lines. And then what would she do with that information? Because I, I'm sorry to skip ahead, but it's kind of like coming to me right now. At the end of episode five, she obviously sees that message from Bale referring to the children on Tatooine. And, you know, I think right now she has no reason to make a connection between those children and Anakin. I can't remember because the version of the recording that she watches has obviously been damaged a little bit. Yeah. Is, does that bit cut out Bale saying, like, we don't want him to discover the children? Because he is kind of making a reference to Vader in the initial recording, right? Oh, that's a good question, actually. I'm not sure. I'd need to go back and check. Okay. I can do that now, actually, quickly, because I have Disney Plus on my other monitor, so I can... <laughs> yeah, it's better to do that rather than something. Part of me it. wonders if it's just kind of... I I'm missing it because as soon as she's kind of brought face-to-face -face with this Jedi path... Maybe that's a distraction for Reaver in a way, because obviously that's her past coming back to haunt her in a way. Yes. So it is like, oh, suddenly she's focused on this Jedi path, when actually that's a distraction from what she's supposed to be focusing on. Yeah. Is that maybe part of the intent? I feel like it might be, but if it is, it's not being articulated clearly enough, I think, to like have the impact it could have, you know, if it were being communicated better. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of my problems with the show. And again, when I'm saying this, like overall, I'm actually enjoying the show. So I'm not a hater by any means. Oh, same. I'm looking forward to every week. But I think sometimes the motives of the characters seem a little muddled to me. Yeah. Okay, so I'm looking back at the episode and the first line of dialogue um, Reva hears from the hologram is if he's found you if he's learned of the children <laughs> so mm, i think okay, you're right so. she probably is going to twig that the children are something to do with vader now <laughs> but right yeah so i think that's coming but again at the same time in a way that for me reinforces that that interrogation between reva and leia was a missed opportunity you know because they could have had her really develop suspicions along those lines there mm. um but yeah, obviously, we didn't go there. So, yeah. Yeah, it's very methodical at that point, isn't it? And obviously, you see her growing frustration with Leia. And there are some funny exchanges with, like, is, is this a staring contest and stuff? Like, I definitely feel like both actors are doing their best with what they're given there. Yeah, I just for think sure. it could have gone a little deeper and there could have been a bit more of, like, an emotional rift and maybe, like, a, a bond in some way kind of forged there between them. I just feel like Leia could have, like, detected some of Reva's frustrations and and her isolation and trauma and and i just feel like it it didn't go there for yeah some reason. no for sure and yeah i think they make a big show of how compassionate and caring leia is and yeah I, i'm not saying she'd immediately feel those things towards reva you know but if she were to sense how frightened and fearful reva was deep down i think she would have really responded to that with compassion and yeah, I'm uh, just rewriting the show, I'm sorry. I know, well, this is the thing, it's really hard not to be a backseat writer, isn't it? When yes. you think, oh, like, like, you could have had Leia going, like, 
why are you so interested in this Jedi path? What do the Jedi mean to you? And then she could have been like, oh, you were one. You know, like something like that, where yeah. all of that stuff seems to be reserved for Obi-Wan. And don't get me wrong, I think Ewan's doing a great job with that stuff too. And I think that exchange between Reva and Obi-Wan in episode five was handled well. But I think you said something like this before we started recording. The show's kind of paced in this like fits and starts way where like there's certain interactions that don't really go anywhere beyond the surface and then all of a sudden all of this stuff will get blurted out and it's like whoa yeah what are the characters going to do with this and then you are very aware of the fact that we only have one episode left and there are all of these different things to wrap up um yeah and i feel like it's kind of coming across in the finished show the fact that there were lots of different writers involved with this thing. Yes. Because yeah. I feel like there was clearly one person who was really invested in writing this like intimate one-to-one character dialogue. And you do get scenes that really shine on that level, right? Um, so I think in our earlier episode, one of the things we praised most strongly was those wonderful interactions between Obi-Wan and Leia. You know, just the talking about her mother and that sort of thing. And, like, Leia asking Obi-Wan if he's her father. You know, there's such, like, rawness and authenticity to that style of writing. And I think some of that comes back in episode five. But I felt like it was barely there in episode four. It was definitely one of the flatter episodes, I think, in that regard. Yeah. I think part of the problem with having Obi-Wan at the centre is that he is a character who... And this is the design of the show, I know. It's like he is being pulled out of his, like, isolation and kind of pushed into all these situations where he now does have to become a bit more of an active player. Yeah. And he's getting more and more confident in that as the show goes along. But it just means that he's, like, reacting to all sorts of stuff as opposed to being the driver. So it's like, is he the protagonist or is, like, Reva more of a protagonist? Which... Again, it wouldn't really matter. It's just they have this thing now where they name all of the ca- the shows after a character. Yeah. And it's like, is that actually fitting? Like, is this Obi-Wan show? I'm just kind of curious where things are going to be left by the end of the yeah. finale. I feel like the way they're setting it up, Reva is going to be the one who has a more interesting arc. Yeah, I- I'm glad because I really like the Reva character. I find her super interesting. But yeah, I do feel like... Obi-Wan, I guess by the nature of the character, because he is like a more subdued, reflective, introverted character, right? I think he is fading a little bit sometimes. And there were also just some, um, just little bits where like, you know, Reva finally catches up with them at the end when Leia's under his trench coat. (laughs) And yet she yells traitor at Tala as if she's the one she's pursuing. And I was like, wait a minute, Obi-Wan's right there. You've been looking for him this whole time. (laughs) Yeah, I think that, like, Tala would barely be on your radar at that point. It's like, sure, she's betrayed you, but, like, really, are you going to focus on Tala right now? And actually, I'm really glad you mentioned Tala, because I feel like I've been a Debbie Downer on this episode. Tala's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I loved that character, you know, and this was the episode where she really shone. Um, Yeah, just seeing that, like, level of courage and bravery from someone... And also, you know, seeing a hero in an Imperial uniform who's not just wearing it as a disguise, but someone who was authentically an Imperial, but realised what the Empire was doing and then defected, you know, to help the Resistance and to help the Jedi children escape on the path. I think that's a really great story. And obviously it reminds me a lot of Finn, you know, because I have to make everything about the sequel trilogy. Um, But yeah, I, I just like seeing that sort of character arc. And I think there was a lot of richness there. 
Yeah, I like the way that she's gradually opening up to Obi-Wan over the course of the few episodes as well, as yeah. to her reasons for, well, not defecting, but um, becoming a double agent. And, like, you know, by episode five, she's actually feeling comfortable with him to confess what the Empire really was doing with those four sensitive families, and that she was complicit in that and said never again. Yeah. So that kind of unfolds over the course of a few episodes, which I like. I like that they're not just so self-contained and that we are getting to know this character more. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, yeah, Indira does a, a great job with that performance. I did think it was a little goofy. I mean, I know Star Wars is like this, but that she was like literally talking on the comm with other Imperials around her. Like, <laughs> oh, these people won't be able to hear me. And then she like knocks one unconscious and just leaves him behind a post. And it's like, no one's going to notice that that's happening. And it's like, I know it's the Star Wars thing, you know, that there's these blatant emissions, but all I could think that whole time was, have they not invented headsets? <laughs> why are there no headsets in this world yeah but you know uh, there was definitely an amount of tension there when she like had to leave it and go and confront someone and then he was left you know obi-wan was like talking through it and not able to get a response and then of course she came back to it just as some stormtroopers were coming past so we had to deal with that like there were a lot of things going wrong for both of them so that was a good way of kind of heightening the tension as he looked for leia yeah and I did feel they did a really good job of building that tension because there were just so many goddamn security checkpoints and people being like, can I see your identification and stuff, which yeah. there's a lot of implausible things that happen in this episode. I'm quite easy going about that, you know, because I don't expect like gritty realism from my Star Wars. But at the same time, it was nice to be reminded that they're not all complete idiots, you know, that there are some like checks and measures in place to prevent people like Tala doing what she's doing, even though they're not very effective. <laughs> mm. What do you think about Roken? Roken? Oh, God. This is going to be embarrassing, so I'm not going to at all remember who this is. <laughs> oh, is he the guy? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, so he's the guy who's in charge of like the path, right? Yeah. <laughs> God, I'm so bad at this. I'm sorry. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so as you can tell from the fact I initially did not realise who Roken was, he didn't leave a huge impression, I think it's safe to say. I'd say Wade actually stood in my mind more. Are you serious? I think that's because of the memes. It's because of the memes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a bit of a... <laughs> the memes exist because the Wade thing was so ludicrous. But... Wade! Not Wade. <laughs> Sorry. I thought I thought at first that it was Roken who had died, because <laughs> then I would had give a shit. impact for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's the guy who's like the leader of this group, who's like, you know, obviously told us that he's suffered and lost so much himself. Yes. By the way, when Obi Wan was like, you don't know what the Empire are capable of. Before Roken had even responded, I was like, that was a huge mistake. Like, dude, you have been sitting on Tatooine for ten years, <laughs> letting everyone else do the fight for you. Which is fine, I'm not blaming Obi-Wan for that. Obviously, he was yeah. grieving and looking after Luke. That was his duty. But the idea that like no one else out there has been fighting, I get this is his story. He's coming to realise that. Yeah. And that was an important moment of realisation for him. But I was like, you're literally talking to people who are getting people a safe passage out of here. Of course they know what the Empire are capable of. Yeah, no, you're right. That was a bit ludicrous. But yeah, I feel like those characters on the base, the ones in charge of running the path, that, like, you know, it's, it's fine. You know, it's nothing wrong with the character, just not particularly memorable. <laughs> Sorry. 
But again, I think that's also a me thing, right? Because, yeah, Kirsty had no problem remembering what his name was. I wonder if he's going to show up again in episode six. Obviously, they're all on that transport now. I wonder where they're going. Oh, I'm sure he will. Yeah. I think everyone in that ship is going to appear again because I just thought it would be a bit jarring if, like, Obi-Wan just, like, popped up, I don't know, on Alderaan to drop Leia off and was then like, right, see you guys. I'll go back to Tatooine. Yeah. And and I think the way it's left in the next episode is that they're being pursued by the Empire, you know, so they're going to have to resolve that in terms of how they get away. So I think they said the hyperdrive was broken. Right. Oh, and I remembered actually something I did want to mention specifically from episode four. So I did like the way it began because it starts with Obi-Wan and Vader in their respective back to tanks when they're both, you know, like healing from their wounds, whatever. And they're both like tossing and turning in a similar way. Um, I did like that compare and contrast. There's not much more to say about it. So it's quite brief, but I liked yeah. it. Yeah, it made me wonder if, like, they were kind of connecting there, like if they were aware of each other. Now that he knows Anakin's alive, yeah, like, I thought there was meant to be some awareness there, or at least like there's just like a, a panic when he's trying to get out. You know? Yeah. No, I I definitely think the implication there is that they're both thinking about the other person in some way. You know, and it's not well clearly defined, but obviously it's not meant to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and also the hand holding between Leia and Obi Wan. Oh, that was that was the part that made me cry. Yeah, I was like, oh, this episode's been worth it. Exactly. Yeah, it was. I think overall it was maybe a little bit more for me, but there were just some small moments and small intimate touches, like that hand holding moment, that I really loved. And yet, if I had any criticism of episode five, it would be that. It feels it feels like such a blockbuster episode by comparison, and there's so many like huge bombshells being dropped every five minutes that there obviously wasn't that time for those smaller intimate moments for the most part. Um, especially with Leia, you know, Leia does have something to do, but you don't really get that relationship between her and Obi Wan anymore. I don't think you do directly, but I really liked how he had such faith in her that he was like defending her when she said, "Like I need a ladder, I can do this." Yes. And they were like, we don't have time for that princess. It's not playtime. And he was like, no, get her the ladder. She's capable of this. I know that. And I feel like that was really earned at this point. Yeah, no, that's true. He knows how strong she is now. And I do also just like that more generally as a philosophy towards children in fiction. You know, because obviously kids, they are just treated like objects, you know, things to be like rescued or like annoyances or something. Whereas Leia is shown to be like very capable and and she's a real asset, you know, to the cause, even at this young age. Mm. And yeah, it did really like that. Um, should we say we're officially talking about episode five now? <laughs> I guess, but, you know, I think it kind of does play to some of the show's strengths in that these are connected. Like, I feel like it flowed really well. Yes, for sure. But yeah, episode five. So... Yeah, I, I was kind of a bit taken aback by how much happened in this. I suppose I shouldn't have been because it's the penultimate episode. But mm. I, I again, I think what I was saying to Kirsty before we started recording is that there's a lot of big information revealed in this episode that ideally I would have liked to have been introduced to some of that more explicitly earlier on in the show. Um, but again, I'm just being a backseat writer and <laughs> I need to stop doing that. That's like my whole thing this time. I think I would be interested, as you said, to like know, I mean, I know that different writers are credited for different episodes, but in terms of like what what level of communication was there between them and like how much knowledge was there of all the various storylines and how they flowed together? 
Because yeah. as I said, like the the Reva and Leia interrogations honestly read like they were being written by a different person to someone who had been managing the rest of like the Reva and Leia stuff. It was it felt very odd. Yeah. Um, but do you want to start at the beginning of this episode because it, it does open with a bit of a bang. Yes. So it opens with a flashback, which hilariously that it starts with like a landscape shot, you know, of a city. And I thought it was Alderaan. <laughs> <laughs> so you just thought we were going back to Bale and Brea. Yeah, I was like, oh, great, we're going to see Bale again. Nice. <laughs> I had the opposite reaction. I had to immediately pause it and like brace myself. Oh my I was god. like, oh my god, it's, it's going to be young Anakin. <laughs> and weren't you like watching it at midnight? Like after everyone was asleep, basically. Yeah, on on my phone. Oh my as, goodness! As they intended, the creators intended. I was just like, <gasps> I, I had to like. I was like, my heart was racing. I was yeah. like, oh my god, they did it. They gave us Anakin and Obi Wan. <laughs> no, it was really cool, and I did like how they used that flashback as well, mm. because you know it's something I've seen a lot of people calling out for, and I do understand why because it's a really special thing to have Hayden and Ewan back as those characters yeah but I think they did a good job of making that flashback sequence have a point to the story at hand in terms of like contrasting Obi-Wan and Anakin's styles towards conflict Mm -hmm. you know and how they like differ and complement each other and how well they know each other how well they know each other and ultimately how Obi-Wan can end up having the upper hand you know, just through cleverness. The high ground. The high ground, yes, if you will. Um, yeah, no, and I thought it was really good. And I, I don't know, man. Like, I really liked Hayden's performance in that. And I think it might Me be, too. like, my favourite Hayden performance as Anakin, period. I know that's a big statement about a flashback. But, again, you can just tell, you know, he's been directed to be a bit more naturalistic than he was in the prequels. And I yeah. prefer that style of acting. I can't tell you how relieved I was when he turned around and I realised, hey, it's Hayden with his current face and they're going to allow him to give an authentic performance. Yes. I was like, thank God. Like, (laughs) maybe there was like a subtle amount of de-aging and CGI going on. I don't know. But the fact that I couldn't detect it and I was just felt like I was watching Aiden give a performance as his current self, but going back in time to the mentality of Anakin in that era it was so good like I was just so pleased that they trusted him and Ewan to do that and as you say they were given like the kind of directing direction that would be needed for a scene like that yeah and as you said that it was like threaded so well through the themes of the episode like in the current day I thought all of that was just handled so well yeah and yeah I just loved I know this sounds silly and really fangirlish, but I really love just seeing him smile as Anakin again. Yes, that is not silly at all. Like, he has a great smile. And I think, again, it showed to me how Hayden did such a great job of picking up the character again. Yeah. You know, so it's been almost 20 years. Even the way that he speaks. Yeah, and it felt seamless, but also better. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I I just really liked it. It was great. Yeah, I'm really pleased that Hayden got to do that. Um, And that they were able to tell so much story through a fight because that's what that's what we love about fights when they happen well in Star Wars, right? And I think that's why we were a little bit frustrated at that first Vader and Obi-Wan confrontation. I feel like there was a lot on Obi-Wan's end in that like blind panic. But in terms of the way that these two were interacting in this 
scene that was then spliced throughout the rest of it as they were like trying to anticipate what the other would do. I don't know. It just came together really well for me. I was really impressed with how they did that. Yeah. And I was actually also reading the perfect book as I was watching this episode. Not at the same time, you know, but I have a book <laughs> on the go. Um, and it's Brotherhood by Mike Chen. It's a bit misleading to say it's a tie-in to the show Obi-Wan Kenobi because, you know, it's not set in the timeline of the TV show. But it was released to coincide with it. And it is about Obi-Wan and Anakin. It's set just after Attack of the Clones, so just after Anakin's got married to Padme, um, and a little and a little bit before Anakin takes on Ahsoka as his apprentice, essentially. Yeah, it's a really great story, and it did a lot of what this flashback was doing, mm-hmm. in contrast in the styles of Anakin and Obi Wan, you know, and how they just have these completely different worldviews and mentalities when it comes to how they approach conflict. And the book does a really great job at exploring that, you know, and comparing and contrasting them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I've finished the book today and I think it's really, really good. It's heavily inspired by the Revenge of the Sith novelization, which is always a great thing to be inspired by. And it also brings over this sun dragon metaphor from that book, which is like Mwah, chef's kiss. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if anyone loved this Obi-Wan and Anakin flashback stuff in this episode, I really recommend getting this book and I'd like to say I'm quite choosy about Star Wars books. You know, I don't love every Star Wars book I read. So yeah, I'd like to think it means something if I'm recommending one in these terms. And yeah, hopefully we can do a podcast about it at some point. So I know you've got it in your library queue, Kirsty. Yeah, I saw that you uh, were really impressed with it. So I put it in in a hold. I think it's going to still be a few weeks from now, but I think this episode like cemented the fact that I'm I'm going to be interested in what they're doing with that. Yeah. No, exactly. There's lots of really cool stuff going on that I I won't say about any of it because I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah, it will be fun to talk about when we have both read it essentially. This is going to sound really silly because I'm sure this is something that like occurs to every single Star Wars fan, <laughs> especially like you know, if, if you're a fan of the prequels and then you're like trying to connect that with the originals in your mind in terms of Anakin and Vader being the same person. But every now and then it like hits me that they are the same person and it's like a fresh wave of horror. Yeah. And this episode really did that. No, for sure. Yeah, like I think there's some like really great edits, you know, where you go straight from a close up of Vader in the mask to a close-up of, like, a young, fresh-faced Anakin with his Padawan braid, you know, and that really, really drives it home that, holy shit, this is the same person. And, yeah, I think in those flashbacks, you do see those real traces of, like, uh, it sounds mean, but, like, nastiness, you know, just in his approach. And, yeah, you can just see these, like, horrible, like, alarm bells that should be going off in everyone. I feel like Aiden and, and George, obviously did a good job of that in the prequels as well to be honest there is this like real constant simmering anger and frustration in Anakin for sure but but you also really sympathize with him and like him and don't want that path for him and obviously you care about Padme and Obi-Wan too and you don't want them to suffer as as a result of that so there's just like layer upon layer of tragedy obviously like that's what Star Wars does as it ripples down and you see how it's affecting Leia and Luke's lives as well and obviously the next generation too with Kylo Yeah, but I don't know I just feel like this episode did a really great job of bringing that home for me and like just the confidence that Obi-Wan had in the way that he was like oh no Anakin won't be able to resist doing that and it's just like people are like how do you know it's like I know him I know him better than anyone Yeah, you know and just that he's able to like 
acknowledge that and talk about it now when just a short time ago he thought that his friend had been dead for 10 years yeah and now he's just kind of having to come to terms with the fact that his friend is alive but not really you know vader is dead in a in a sense yeah so i think as this show's going on i'm kind of understanding the purpose it's serving and again it's like any story you know no story intrinsically needs to exist right but i think if you are to assign a purpose to this show, you know, what they're doing with Obi-Wan, it's essentially about how he went from that awful trauma and horror of what happened at the end of Revenge of the Sith to that sense of, like, peace and purpose he has by the time you get to A New Hope and he's an old man, right? Mm. You know, so there's no, like, fear or, like, dread or horror. When Obi-Wan faces Vader in that movie... He's just completely resolved, completely calm and knows exactly what he's doing. And I think, you know, there was a bit of a leap to get from place to place, right? And you could obviously infer what had happened, but I think they're kind of justifying why they're telling the story in terms of giving Ewan and the Obi-Wan character that arc to follow. Yeah, I think in the past I just kind of put it down to, well, he had 20 years. <laughs> yeah, time's a great happened. healer. <laughs> But this, you know, if you are going to tell that story, and I, you know, it's still when it comes down to it, if I had had my say, <laughs> it would have been a uh, a story that focused on Obi-Wan a little bit more in isolation. Yeah. And a bit more like internal and reflective, but... Just adapt you know, the Kenobi the novel. It's fine. That's all you need. Yeah. But like, I accept that this is the story they chose to tell. And I think in terms of like the, the central element of Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship I think they are doing a good job in terms of you know and I say that with the caveat of like yeah I didn't love their first confrontation but we also don't have the finale yet so it'll be interesting to see the leap there because I assume if they are going to have another confrontation Obi-Wan is going to be in an incredibly different place psychologically yeah and uh, I know we haven't had a chance to talk about this yet but this episode was heavy on the TLJ Luke yet again. Oh, yeah, so many TLJ vibes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I loved it. As you talked about, yeah. And I, I've i been thinking about this since the series began. But once we get episode six, I'm going to go straight into A New Hope again and see how that lines up for Obi-Wan as a character. And I never really watch A New Hope focusing on Obi-Wan. You know, he's not the point of that movie. Sure, yes. But I'm going to do it now. And I think that's going to be a pretty rewarding experience. Yeah. No, that's a really, like, fun idea, actually. I might do the same. It's been a long time since I watched A New Hope, so, yeah, this would be the perfect opportunity. It's really nice to see how it lines up. I mean, even even plot-wise with the stuff on Crate in The Last Jedi, right? And, like, how Luke is a part of that and comes in and, like, puts himself out there so that other people can escape. Yeah, exactly. And then you obviously have Reva filling the Kylo Ren role, right? Um, honestly there's like the scene where she's screaming at the stormtroopers to fire on the base (laughs) you know and I literally had like direct flashbacks to like Kylo screaming his head off and being like fire Um, in a much more intimidating way than that but yeah people get what I I mean. I loved the way Moses was able to convey all of those different emotions because there's a lot going on at the same time. Yes. The way her face falls when Obi-Wan comes out and says just so you know it's not you bringing me to him. It's me bringing him to you. And she was like, oh, <laughs> okay. I thought that was how I handled really well. Yeah. No, exactly. I think 
this out of all the episodes so far is the one where we get to see the greatest range from Reva and Moses in her performance. And I really, really enjoyed that. So I've liked the character since the beginning, you know, but I have felt it's taken a while, you know, to really get to the root of that character and what's going on with her psychologically. Um, and obviously, you know, it's not that it was a huge surprise to learn she was one of the Padawans in that flashback in the first scene. I think it, most people inferred that she was. But for me, I didn't realise that her ultimate game plan was to kill Vader, right? Did you twig that that might be what was happening? I couldn't tell because she was so focused on Obi-Wan. Yes. And I was like, she's angry at Obi-Wan in particular. But then in episode four, because she doesn't react to seeing him, she reacts to Tala. I was like, oh, it's not Obi-Wan in particular. Yeah. But then when she is talking to him, she does have a level of anger where she's like, where were you? He was your Padawan and you didn't protect us. Yeah. So it, it's there's a lot of stuff going on. It's not It's not just one thing. Yeah. And I feel like she's got that kind of unpredictable almost adolescent energy that force awakens kylo had where Mm. you know he's got so much like passionate broiling emotion going on that you know it's kind of been channeled in all these different chaotic directions without rhyme or reason and again like i think it it would have been good really if the writing had been a bit more focused you know and we'd had a bit more of a through line for the character that you know hadn't given away what her ultimate game plan was but had maybe given it a little bit more setup, so I feel like it could have done with a little bit more. I think the great thing about Moses' performance is that she's making it believable on a human level, just through the the quality of her delivery, you know, and the rawness and the authenticity she brings to that performance. So it feels almost painfully real, you know, when she's describing the horror of, of what she experienced as a child. You know, my heart was breaking for her watching those scenes. I think that's why I'm a bit more forgiving of, you know, what sounds like grievances that I have with the writing and how things don't quite line up. I think because there's like an emotional truth behind what she's doing with the performance, it doesn't it doesn't matter so much. Yeah. Like you can kind of gloss over it because the character makes sense through her performance. And yeah, some of her lines there were just devastating and, and really quite difficult to to reckon with. Yeah. Um and yeah, just bring you back again. I, I mean, I know we talked about it in the first episode. I really find Order 66 as something that like, I think Star Wars needs to eventually leave behind because it works for me in terms of like an abstract, obviously large-scale, horrific event as part of Anakin's turn and the Emperor's ascension. But if you zoom in on a character like Reva, and I... Again, I think Moses is doing a fantastic job of it. It just makes me very nervous to see what they're going to do with her next episode. Yeah. Because it's just too real. What, you know, the things that she's saying. No, I agree. Like, again, it's very hard to comment right now because we don't know how they're going to resolve it. But based on precedent, Star Wars has too often dealt with characters like Reva, who are very wounded and yes they've like done bad things but there's also this like deep sense of like vulnerability and trauma in their past and that's kind of acknowledged but they're never actually like treated with the like sympathy or care I think it really deserves Mm -hmm. yeah I'd really really hope 
and want to see like compassion exercise between Reva in the next episode. So I must say, watching this episode, I did feel a little bit conflicted about how Obi-Wan in particular treated her. Because you can see that he's troubled, you know, by what she says and he's pained, you know, when she tells him, why didn't you protect us or something to that effect. You know, he feels it. He does feel guilty for that. But at the same time, he still doesn't do anything practical to, you know, try and make amends to Reva. He ultimately really uses her, you know, because he realises that she's this intent on killing Vader, even though he knows that's going to be impossible for her. And then she, he basically puts the idea of this plan in her mind that she then follows. And that essentially leads to Reva being stabbed in the stomach, you know, and left sprawling on the ground, you know. And I feel that represents some real moral muddiness on the part of Obi-Wan. And that's maybe being a bit generous. It makes me wonder what the overall intent of the writers there is, because obviously as they're coming to the end of the episode, the focus is on the fact that Reva discovers that dropped hollow and oh no it's obi-wan's concern there that's the focus as opposed to what he did to reva or if there's any like acknowledgement of the fact that he did kind of cause all of that yeah i mean even vader himself says it like he was wise to use you but i don't know if that's like reflected in obi-wan's intent <clears throat> explicitly on the writer's part i mean yeah. like if they're just using that as like oh that's vader's cynicism or like his perception of how people would use each other and whether it was really quite innocent on Obi-Wan's part. Yeah. But like the outcome is the same. <laughs> so Exactly. And I feel like I- I'm kind of a little bit unsure in these situations, whether it's just the show's writing being super subtle, you know, it's just genuinely not being articulated as clearly as it needs to be. Like I'd like to think it's all just they're being super subtle and it's all gonna be paid off next time. But again, it's very hard to comment because we'll find out next time whether there is any yeah. payoff and whether Obi-Wan actually has to reckon at all with what he did to Reva by omission, you know, because he didn't directly harm her, of course, you know, but he essentially suggested a plan that caused her grievous harm after she had already suffered terribly as a child on account of the failures of the Jedi Order that he was a very important part of. So, I feel like they bring yeah. that home visually when he stabs her and she's seeing him as the Anakin who came through to the temple. Oh god, yeah, that was horrifying. You know, so if they I would hope that they would follow up on that. Yeah. And, and double down on that horror and in a way that feels like sensitive to the character as well. Sure. Yeah, so I've got to say actually that you know, obviously in Revenge of the Sith we see scenes of Order 66, right? But it's kind of filmed in such a way where I don't really have much emotion to it because it's usually Jedi. And I know these characters are expanded upon heavily in the Clone Wars. So I know with that background, you'd feel more. But when people first watched Revenge of the Sith in 2005, none of that backstory existed for those characters, right? So you're just seeing random Jedi be gunned down by CGI clone troopers. And it's all a bit cold and emotionless you know it's sad objectively because people are being killed but you're not like oh no i'm so sad so and so has died there was also a certain inevitability to it because you knew going into a new hope that well you kind of had the assumption that no other (laughs) jedi survived yeah (laughs) right and it's just luke yes so but yeah now obviously they're zooming in on this character as like a, a a lead in this series and this is what happened to her and this is what that trauma shaped her as yeah 
and she's been working like under Vader all of that time with that festering hatred and anger towards him. And then it's like, please, please be careful with that character. I just feel very protective of her. Yeah. Like, I don't have it to hand, but I know the editor of Obi-Wan said that what was at the core of the story and in terms of like what attracted them to working on the project was there was this heavy focus on emotion and the character's emotional arcs. And again, that that's very vague, you know, and it could mean a lot of things. But I like to think that means that we are going to get genuine payoffs to this stuff in the finale. I'll, again, I know it's bad to set up expectations for yourself, but at the same time, I feel like it's not an unreasonable expectation to hope that we get real emotional payoffs to some of these characters' stories because they do have such emotional setups, right? Um, and yeah, I feel like it would be not doing it justice if it were just like glossed over or not taken seriously at all. Yeah, I guess my expectation is that Reva is going to decide to protect Luke the way that she wishes that she'd been protected. Yeah, and um, I'd really like that. I'm just bracing myself for her to die because that's what Star Wars does. It's just not that imaginative in the fallout. Like once the character has decided to do good, what do they do with them? Yeah, exactly. Whereas for me, that's the most interesting story. Like what what happens next? Like you almost never get that story. Yeah, I'm just interested to see what they do next with her and Vader. Yeah. I also got to mention that I think that fight between Vader and Reva was so cool and so It well was done. very good. Yeah. yeah. That was my favourite fight in the show by far today, I that think. Was, that was a big step up, yeah. Yeah, like, just the fact that, obviously, it was always clear throughout that fight that Vader had the upper hand, but at the same time, it didn't make Reva look prophetic or, you know, like she had, like, nothing to offer in that fight. She was clearly so ferocious and so intense on killing this guy. And I was honestly super rooting for her. You know she's not going to win for obvious reasons. <laughs> he's toying with her. The fact that he like breaks the saber in two and then tosses her a piece. He's yeah. like, come on then. Have a chance. <laughs> Have yeah. a go. It's awful. Really <laughs> awful. And then what did you think when the um, original Inquisitor came back? Oh, I'm like, I expected it to happen. Because obviously we know that he survives into Rebels. He has two but stomachs. I'm still a bit confused by this weird snobbery that he has towards her. I'm like, she was a youngling at the temple. Like, why are you acting like you literally found her in the gutter? Like, where did this story come from? I feel like she probably was literally found in a gutter or a place adjacent to a gutter. Yes, but if the backstory is that she was a Padawan, <laughs> it's just like, and you just, I guess he's just not a very nice person. <laughs> It's just like very weird that he keeps bringing up this weird class distinction. He is painted as a complete asshole. Is he that awful in uh, Rebels? Is it? Uh, I can't even remember. Like, I don't think you've got like a such a personal look at him. To be honest, okay. he's just like an enemy for like the Jedi characters. Right. So he maybe didn't quite have the same level of personality. I, need, I do plan on having a rewatch after this because I feel like it is going to make me pay attention more to those kinds of characters, but. It's just funny the way he talks down to her. It's like, who are you, dude? <laughs> I, I'm trying... He reminds me of something that's, like, intrinsically funny to me. This isn't quite right. It's not why I'm finding it so funny. But he does remind me of Saturday morning cartoon villains. Where he's just, like, so patently evil. <laughs> you yeah. know, he just loves it. He just loves how evil he is. And he just relishes every moment. So I like that. I find it quite fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. You need a character like that, don't you? Because as a contrast to to Reva. Yeah, because Reva's having no fun whatsoever. It's not yeah. a good time. It's just funny to think about him and Vader like colluding. Obviously, Vader knows that he's alive, and he's like promoting her to Grand Inquisitor and giving her the badge and everything. <laughs> 
can't remember if I sent you the link, Kirsty, but there was a really funny update to the Wikipedia um, page. The oh, Grand I Inquisitor, saw that, yeah. <laughs> where it's like the Rupert Friend one, Reva, Rupert Friend one. Yeah, <laughs> like, she was oh. Grand Inquisitor for a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a bit like um, the Jane Grey situation of British history, <laughs> but even shorter than that. So, yeah, it's just a bit grim. Um, but yeah, there's still more stuff to talk about in this episode that we haven't covered. Like, Tala dies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that was really sad. I was like, no, not already. I've got to say, I was surprised she even survived the last episode. Yeah. Because Reva obviously had caught her out in those lies. And it was really only because, you know, she got distracted. I'm conflicted on it because I feel like how Tala died felt quite fitting for that character. Yeah. Like, in a just total sacrifice and... You know, in the arms of her, her lovely droid. Yeah, um, that's a new ship, guys. Oh, it is. Yeah, I, I I love those two together. Big himbo droid. And yeah, then she was just like, may the force be with you. And, and she had a detonator and she didn't really have any doubts about that. You know, she was just like, I'm, I'm going to do this and it'll be worth it to make sure that they get out of her. Yeah, it reminded me a lot, actually, of Rogue One, you yeah. know, um, and how the characters in that story end up. Um, just without the whole cast dying this time because that would be way too bleak. Um, and yeah, like I thought it was, I think something overall the show has been doing well is clearly drawing inspiration from every single era of Star Wars. You know, you can see the originals, you can see the prequels, you can see the sequels. And I really like that because I think a lot of the time with the Filoni Favreau projects in particular, there's this clearly slavish adherence to the aesthetics of the original trilogy. And, you know, I like the original trilogy a lot. They're great films. But there's so much more to Souls than those three films. So, yeah, I do like seeing lots of riffs on concepts that we've seen, especially in the more recent films. Yeah. I just felt like Tala was very level-headed and she had her eyes open in terms of she felt like she had a lot to atone for yes like tangible things she had you know been complicit in real people losing their lives yeah and she wanted to make amends for that and she did like I feel like that character had a lot of agency yeah exactly and she also had even though she's obviously only had a couple of episodes I feel like she had a very complete arc in that time. Yeah. You understand exactly where she started out. You understand what she's done since then. And you perfectly understand why she makes the final decisions that she does. And yeah, it felt quite satisfying to me. And I feel like she's had a big impact on Obi-Wan in that short time as well. Yeah. No, he's a really good character. I did see an interview with Indira Varma where she said that apparently Tala was originally envisaged as a love interest for Kenobi. Like, how would you have felt if they'd gone in that direction? Well, did she specify how explicitly that would be? Oh, let's see. I'll try and bring up the interview. Because I, I can see it if, you know, there's like a suggestion of in another lifetime. Yeah. But if it was like a totally different version of the story where they would have had more downtime together. But as it stands now in its current version, there's not really any chance for that. Yeah. Okay. So I found the quote from Indira. Um... So, let's see. Um, So, Farmer says, I think originally she was going to be a love interest. While the thought of Obi-Wan settling down for his significant other after renouncing his Jedi ways is certainly intriguing, Deborah Chow and Joby Harold ultimately went in another direction. They felt that it was maybe a bit cliched, where always the woman turns up and they fall in love or whatever, says Varma. 
and it's more interesting that this is a woman with agency who is not just going to fall at the feet of Obi-Wan. <laughs> but just because Tala and Obi-Wan may not fall at Padme and Anakin or Leia and Han, what about Rey and Kylo? So, um, that doesn't mean the undercover code switcher doesn't feel a spark for the tormented Jedi. At least that is the way that Varma sees it in her portrayal. I do think in my heart that she's in love with him, says the actress, because she's prepared to give up everything to further his quest and to help him out. So that's my little secret thing that's going on inside. So, yeah, that's all she says on it. I do think there's, like, a potential spark there. They definitely have chemistry. Yeah. But Obi-Wan's just not in a place where he could think about something like that. He's just focused on getting Leia back and and dealing with Anakin. Yeah, for sure. So, like, I do think there's a connection between those characters. As I said, I do think she has an impact on his arc and, like, encouraging him to step back into the fight and doing the right thing and it's always worth it. But, like, there's... Just as the pacing of these finished episodes stands, there's no, like, downtime just between those characters where, like, something could have happened. Yeah. But, I mean, this project was in development for so long, and obviously they'd talked about doing a movie beforehand that, like, a very early version of this character, you could easily see it going in a different way with a totally different story. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, and yeah, then I think, is there anything left to say other than the very end where obviously we get a look at tiny little Luke Skywalker because everything comes back to Luke, clearly. No, but I, I'm looking forward to them going to Tatooine and everything kind of converging there. And I'm curious to see if Vader ends up on Tatooine. Oh God, I and, hope not. Um, and it means more Owen and Sunbaru finally. So I hope that Bonnie has plenty to chew on there and... Um, I don't know, you, you get somehow a sense of that danger, even though we know, of course, nothing happens to Luke, but that's kind of where it's all been gearing towards. And I, I'm curious to see, like, by the end of the show, if we're going to see uh, Leia reunited with her family, or if, like, like, where are they going to end things? Yeah, I feel like there has to be a scene, you know, where we see Leia back with her parents, because they linger on those relationships so much in the first episode. I feel it wouldn't be satisfying if it was just like her and Obi-Wan on a ship, you know, being like, right, better take you back to your parents then. You know, like, I really want to see little Leia run into like mum and dad's arms, you know, and have like a big hug. Gotta say, yeah. I know it's because he's panicking, but I am judging Bale a little bit for using Owen's real name <laughs> and saying Owen and the boy. <laughs> like, how secure are these hollows? Like, it was so <laughs> Clearly easily not dropped. secure at all. <laughs> And then you didn't even need a passcode to open it. Oh my god! It's like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> oh. Great job there, Bale. Yeah, no, that that is a bit eye rolly, I must say, in terms of the logical lack thereof of <laughs> the use of that hollow. It's a bit ridiculous. I mean, yeah, you can put it down to him just being like so worried that he's not thinking clearly. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh my god, where's my baby girl, Obi Wan? Where's my baby girl? Um, if he just yeah. said that, that would be fine. <laughs> it's that he links Vader and Luke and Owen. Yeah, no, it's true. He's very specific with the information he gives, which... Oh, sorry, actually, yeah. now I think about it, he says that he's going to go to Tatooine, so maybe Leia will be reunited with him there. God, that would be so weird to see Bale on Tatooine for some reason. Mm. It's like, yeah. these two things do not belong together somehow. So I feel like, have we ever seen a high-level politician on Tatooine? I don't think we have. Padme. Padme, this disguise. is true. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I'd like to see um Bale's peasant disguise. <laughs> the thing is, Jimmy Smith is like such like an imposing man, right? I feel like 
yeah. a lot of presents. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No disguise could hide that level of presence. <laughs> but yeah, I'm really excited for next episode because, yes, the actress who plays Baru, um, who's called Bonnie P.S., um, she has given an interview where she indicates that there is a lot more Baru than we've seen to date in the show. And obviously to date we've seen one glimpse of her in a very, very long shot. <laughs> So I think it's safe to say that all that sweet, sweet Baru content is still to come in this next episode. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Like, if people haven't been listening for a while and have only been listening to our Obi-Wan episodes, we're big fans of Baru on this show. Um, So, yeah, be prepared for some excitement. (laughs) I want to see her protecting Luke. Same. I think I really started to appreciate that character after that story she had in From a Certain Point of View where you really get to grips with how this is a person with dreams and ambitions, you know, and also this deep love for this child who's come into her life. And yeah, I I just think there's a lot going on with that character that we never see in the films. And I think it would be nice to get a slightly more rounded portrayal of her this time. And again, I know they're not going to have loads of time to focus on Baru, you know, I'm being realistic. But yeah, I think they can give us more than what we've had previously. I think they're going to have an interesting... A connection with the first episode where Reva and Owen have that really intense exchange. Yes. There's a lot of chemistry there too. So I'm curious when Reva shows up, is she going to be interacting with Owen again or is it going to be more her and Baru? I can't believe I had forgotten this, but I forgot that Reva had that interaction with Owen. Yeah, that's how she knows. Yeah, no, so of course that. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. Slow. It was the first episode. Lots happened since then. But yeah. I think they've connected it well there. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so it's not like she's going to even need to find the right Owen. She knows exactly which Owen she's looking for when she goes back. Wow. Exactly. Okay, yeah. So we've got to buckle our seatbelts, guys. So yeah, let's leave it there. Um, because, yeah, I think we've concluded on the right note with our excitement for the next episode. Um, so yeah, I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918. I'm Kirsty, and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time, bye! Bye.